You know, uh, after the first time I was down front here, my wife reminded me, she said, don't, ba- don't back up too far because you back right into those candles. And it, it reminded me, that I had a flashback to a, a time when I was working on a construction project and, and it was wintertime and we had one of these uh, propane heaters, you know, with the flames coming out of them. And I was cutting something, backed up too close to the propane heater and started my jeans on fire. <laughs> Didn't realize it until I felt the scorching heat back here, you know, and, and I had to beat the flames out, move my wallet to the other pocket and, and continue on. But it, uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> but I, it was just one of those funny flashbacks. You know, the first of the year is always a great time to, to rethink, kind of recalibrate, reevaluate where we are and where we're going and, and what we're doing. Gene, we have that journal there. And uh, that's what I'd like to do with you today. Michael mentioned our, our walk with, with God and, uh, and thinking hard about our, our walk with God. It's a, it's a chance to, uh, to kind of rethink what we're doing and where we are in our walk with God and, and what uh, changes we'd like to make as of the first of the year. So today I'm going to ask, ask you to think about that a little bit. And uh, it's also a great time to think about success and uh, how, to, how to be successful. And so I, you know, I Googled success. And actually, I Googled secrets of success, and I got 13,800,000 hits on secrets of success. And I didn't check them all, but <laughs> I, I noticed that there were secrets to su- success in, in, uh, biz- in business, in uh, academics, in finance, of course, in relationships, in marriage, there are all, all kinds of uh, prescriptions for success out there. And uh, most of them implied that if you signed up for their particular approach to success, that you would experience, uh, when you achieve that success, you'd also experience happiness and, and satisfaction in life. You know, we're literally bombarded with advice from Dr. Drew to uh, Dr. Phil to Oprah to The View to Bill O'Reilly. And, and all the rest have advice for us on how to live our lives and be successful and, and happy. Amazon.com boasts 50,000 books related to self-improvement. And, and again, I, I looked up uh, success in Amazon. There are 125,000 books that will tell you how to be successful on Amazon.com and, and thereby achieve happiness and satisfaction in, in life. Advertisers aren't to be left behind. They bombard us with the thinking that we can acquire happiness and success if we just purchase whatever product or experience that they happen to be pushing at the time. Well, let me share with you a couple observations about where happiness and success actually comes from. Uh, First of all, I think our our culture defines success and happiness in terms of things that we possess or achieve. And Jesus turned that definition of success on its head in, in Luke 12, 15, when he said, Take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. We're not to define ourselves. What What he was saying was, the one who has the most toys when he dies uh, does not win. That, that, that's not the object of, of life. 
He said, what we possess and, and achieve will never produce lasting satisfaction. Instead, he said, what we're to be defined by is our relationship with our, with our God. And when the religious leaders of the day asked him what was the most important thing, this is what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In, in other words, our, our first priority in life should be to cultivate that love relationship that we have with God. And, and our, our first priority in life should be knowing God, and, and, knowing, uh, and that should be the primary pursuit of our lives. Henry Blackaby, in, in the men's study that we're, we're uh, working our way through now, is experiencing God, and Henry Blackaby said in, in the men's study this about that. God himself pursues a love relationship with you. He takes the initiative to bring you into this relationship. He created you for fellowship with himself. That is the purpose of your life. Have you considered that? The purpose of your life is, is to fellowship with God. The purpose of your life is to develop that intimate relationship with God. The purpose of our lives. Secondly, our, our culture defines success only in terms of this life. In all those hits, and I didn't check every one, but in all those hits, in all those uh, books, I, I didn't find any that referred to success and happiness beyond the framework of this life. They, they all thought in terms of this little blip that we have. You know, James says our life is but a vapor. It's here again and it's gone. And it's so transient. And yet we live like we're immortal. We, we've all got 50, 60, 70, 90 years tops if we're fortunate. But uh, then is eternity, an, in, an infinite eternity. Have you thought about this, that time didn't exist before creation, and it won't exist in heaven. It was irrelevant before, and it will be irrelevant then. It's irrelevant to God. That's why a day is as a thousand years to God. Time is irrelevant to him. It only exists now. And, and God didn't create us for time. Henry Blackaby, again, says this, uh, God did not create you for time. He created you for eternity. Time, your lifetime on earth, that is, provides the opportunity for you to become acquainted with him, that is God. It provides occasions for him to develop your character into his likeness. Then eternity will hold its fullest dimensions for you. If you live only for time, that is the here and now, you'll miss the ultimate purpose of creation. If you live for time, you will allow your past to shape your life today. Your life as a child of God ought to be shaped by the future, what you will be someday. God uses your present experiences to mold you for future usefulness here on earth and in eternity. How often do we think about that? That God is shaping our lives now in such a way that he's preparing us for whatever role he has for us in eternity. So we're in training, folks. And a question I have for, I have for you is, how is your training going? How's your training program going? I recently texted back and forth with a young friend, a friend of a friend here in church, who was troubled by the death of a young relative. She was struggling with despair and some of the big questions of life, like, uh, can I believe that God exists? And um, what kind of a God is he anyway, doing these kinds of things? And 
Um, how do I find purpose and meaning in life? And what I shared with her in a couple hours of texting back and forth was, um, I don't think you can find, I think it's impossible to find meaning and purpose in life outside of our relationship with God. Because that's, that's why we were created. That's why he created us. That's, why he, that's the way he wired us, was for a relationship with him. And I don't think we can be truly satisfied or feel complete outside of that relationship. The philosopher Pascal said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. A God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. I think that's, I think that's true. We won't feel complete until we've found the, the solution to that in, in God. That young woman was later led to faith in Christ by her young friend from this church. You know, she still has questions, but she's uh, growing in her faith. She's uh, learning how to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul was on the same page with regard to purpose. And, and, uh, and he said he, there was a consuming passion to his life. Now, he was a guy who uh, had it made in, in uh, his time. He was at the top of his game in terms of his uh, pedigrees and credentials, in terms of his position and status in the religious leadership of the day. But he threw all that away. He said this, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So the consuming passion of Paul's life was to know Christ and to, mo- to know more of Christ and the power of Christ's resurrection in his life. So if our relationship with God is our purpose for living, then, then how can we come to know God in a way that matters for eternity and, and for now as well? Well, the, I think the answer is in Psalm 1, and I'd like to read that together. I think it's page 393 in the, in the Pew Bibles. It'll be on the screens as well. And and let's read it together. We don't do that very often, but uh, if you have a Bible in front of you, let's just read it together or off the screen. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you. Notice the word blessed in uh, verse 1 there. The word blessed there uh, refers to a state of, the Hebrew word means a state of heightened joy and happiness. A state of heightened joy and, and happiness. So how do we, how do we uh, learn to live in that heightened state of joy and happiness? Well, Psalm 1 tells us about that. There, there are some things, first of all, that we need to avoid. The psalmist says, if we're going to live in that blessed state. First of all, 
uh, there are three types of evil to avoid. And, and notice that as, as we look at those, that each one of those is progressive in terms of its nature and, and scope. The Psalm 1 woman, first of all, does not walk in the counsel or the advice of the wicked, it says in, in uh, verse 1. Does not walk in the counsel or the advice of the, the wicked. Uh, in other words, they don't take their, their guidance for life from people who do not know God and are, and are living in a way that uh, deliberately contradicts uh, a life that honors God. Uh, living in disobedience, in other words. We don't take advice from those folks. So, for example, uh, don't watch The Bachelor for advice on male-female relationships that, that honor God. Uh, don't watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for advice on interpersonal relationships that honor God. I, I saw a piece on Good Morning America not long ago where a couple of the women on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills were fired from the show over a dispute they had and, and uh, the, the reporter was going over the crux of the dispute and what he was talking about and, and, and it turns out that what the crux of the dispute was, one woman had said to the other woman that uh, it, your shoes look like Herman Munster shoes. Now you'd have to know the Adams family to to, to know that, but Herman Munster shoes. And then the other woman said, well, they're not. They're Louis Vuitton shoes, as a matter of fact. The first woman said, well, even Louis Vuitton can have a bad day. Well, that, that's what the whole conflict was over. It disrupted the production, and they had to, to fire these women. And, and the, uh, the reporter went on to say that they were going to find a couple even wealthier and, and presumably more vacuous and shallow people than, than, uh, than these to... Uh, to replace them. Um, my, my thought at the time was, what a waste of electricity. <laughs> my, my point here is that we don't take advice from, from those kinds of people. If we want to be in a, a blessed state, that's not where our advice comes from, our guidance for life. Secondly, we don't stand in the, in the path of, of sinners, the psalmist says. And, and what that means is standing in the path of sinners is the next step on down the road. It refers to habitual patterns of behavior or a lifestyle that's sinful. The Psalm 1 man or woman does not uh, participate in, in those kinds of uh, behaviors. We have contact, of course, with people of the world, people who are not believers, and we have a testimony to those folks as well. But we don't participate in the kinds of behavior that, that they might that is displeasing to God. And and uh, activities that are displeasing to God. Here's an example. When I worked in uh, state government and, and then again in the corporate world, there were occasions when uh, guys would invite me to go along uh, to places that I didn't feel comfortable going. And I would have to explain that, uh, no, I wasn't going to go there, and this is why, uh, because I felt like it, it was a matter of uh, character for me, and it would impact my character in a way that I did not uh, want it to. And, and uh, besides, I... I tried to live my life in a way that honored God and, and I, I, that, wouldn't, that would be displeasing to him. So I, I couldn't do that. Uh, men and women, Christian men and women, uh, there are places that we have no business uh, going and things we have no business being involved in. If we want to be uh, blessed by God, if we want to live in that state of uh, blessedness. Thirdly, uh, we don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, scoffer is not a word you hear very much anymore. It's not exactly texted back and forth, is it, on our smartphones? But, you know, I did, I did check it, actually. 
I, I, I was going to text it to Mark just to see if, just to see if uh, it was in my dictionary, and sure enough, it's, it's in my smartphone dictionary on, a, on an Android phone, so I know it's still in use. But a, a scoffer is, is a person who uh, rejects the things of God. They, they show no respect for the things of God, and they ridicule uh, people who believe in the things of God and, and those who trust God. And sitting in the seat of scoffers implies that uh, we make those folks our friends and constant companions and that we tacitly approve of uh, people who uh, reject God and ridicule God and, uh, and demean and disparage the things of God. And uh, that's something we're, we're not to do. A person who was a scoffer was Christopher Hitchens. I don't know if uh, all of you are aware, but uh, Christopher Hitchens was a lifelong atheist and a vocal proponent of atheism a vocal antagonist of, of uh, Christianity over the years. He published a book uh, just a couple of years ago called God is Not Great, in which he ridiculed the, the concept of God, ridiculed Christians, and argued against God's existence. In a 2004 article, he wrote this, All religions and all churches are equally demented in their belief in divine intervention, divine intercession, or even the existence of the divine in the first place. That was his position. My understanding, uh, that was his position right up until his uh, death on December 16, when he died at age 62 in Houston of combination of pneumonia and, uh, and cancer. When I, when I heard of his death, I knew about his vocal opposition to Christianity for years and years, and his brother was an atheist as, as well. His brother Peter, his brother came to faith not too many years ago, uh, but couldn't convince uh, Christopher as far as we know. And when I heard about his death, the, the, uh, the verse that came to mind was Psalm 14.1, where God says uh, his response. And that is, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Those are, those are scoffers. I don't presume to know where Mr. Hitchens is right now, and that's not my place. Uh, I hope that at the last moment he cried out to God, just like the thief did on the cross. What I do know is that uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto every man once to die, and after that the judgment, that we'll all stand before God. And the only thing that will matter at that moment is whether we have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. That's the only thing that, that will matter. And, and if that's the case, then we're declared not guilty. God sees us as holy and righteous. And He, and he says, Welcome to the place that I've prepared for you. And, and, if, and if not, then we're... In, we're separated from God for eternity. So you can have a physical life and be physically alive and be spiritually dead. You can be physically alive and spiritually alive, as, as those of us here are. Uh, you can be physically dead and spiritually alive, as, as we will be when we pass from this life. Our eternal life has already started. When we got new life in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That, that's when our eternal life started, right at that point in time. Well, uh, there are certain things we need to avoid if we're going to be blessed by God. But um, if we're going to be blessed, there are certain things that we, we can do as well. And uh, one of those things is, is to meditate on God's law. It says here, Meditate on God's law, and what law means here is simply direction or instruction from God. That's what the Hebrew word means. It doesn't necessarily mean 
the uh, Ten Commandments, for example, or the Mosaic Law, it includes that, but, but also the, uh, uh, any direction or instruction from God. So in our terms, it's, it's the Scripture. And, and to meditate means to muse or to ponder over it. And the Hebrew word even uses the word uh, mutter. I mean, the Hebrew uh, translation even uses the word mutter. That it, uh, we're, we're muttering to ourselves. We're so involved in the, the Word of God when we meditate on it that uh, we're repeating it over and over to ourselves. The point is that Psalm 1, man or woman, is uh, when their mind is unoccupied, it goes back to the things of God. We're, we're spending time um, on the things of God in, in God's Word. The Hebrew word for delight here means to, to take pleasure or enjoyment in. To take pleasure or enjoyment in the things of God. Let me ask you this. Do you take pleasure and, and enjoyment in the things of God right now, in, in reading the Word of God? And, and if you don't, then uh, let me encourage you to ask God for that. That's a gift from God. He will give that to you. He, he wants you to enjoy spending time with Him and to fellowship with Him. And He will give you that love for the Word if, uh, if you don't have that right now. Dr. David Platt is uh, the pastor of uh, Church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a, it's a big church. David Platt also wrote the book Radical, which some of you may have read. He talks in that, uh, in that book, he gives an example of uh, one of the, the first occasion he went over to Asian churches, Asian house churches, the underground churches, the secret churches that are, are meeting there uh, in secret under persecution. Uh, to teach the Bible. And he said uh, one afternoon he was escorted to one of these secret churches, uh, a clandestine uh, meeting place where uh, dozens of people, dozens of church leaders were jammed into a a small room. Many of them sat on a dirt floor uh, to hear the word of God. He was asked to to prepare a three-hour Bible study. And it it lasted eight hours because of all the questions and, and the hunger that was there. And at the end of that Bible study, they said, well, can you come back the next day? And he, he said, well, about the same time, shall I come back in the afternoon? No, we want to start early. And, and so he taught on Nehemiah the next morning. Well, mid-morning, they approached him and said, uh, listen, would you teach us the, New Te- the, the Old Testament? And he said, the Old Testament, that would take a long time. And, and they said, well, can you stay? We're willing to make the time. All these folks were farmers and, and others who worked with their hands. They said, we can take the, the time away from our farms and our families, but we want to learn the word of God. Would you teach us? So he agreed to do that. And, and he stayed for, for 10 days, and for eight and a half days he taught them through the, the Old Testament. While well, they sat on the dirt floor with a Bible in their lap and, and, uh, and, and listened and, and exchanged uh, teaching. And, and then at, at the end of eight and a half days, he'd finished Malachi, and he, he said, well, you know, that's the last prophet in the Old Testament. And so he started teaching on something random, and they stopped him and said, wait a minute, you haven't taught us the New Testament yet. <laughs> he said he, he smiled, but they weren't kidding. <laughs> and so he agreed to stay and teach them the New Testament as well. So for the next 13 hours, he raced them through the New Testament. He said, he described them he said simply, they were hungry. They were hungry. Um, my question to you folks and to me is, are we hungry for the word of God in, in, in that way? Are we hungry for the word of God and the, and the things of God? Do we delight in it? Do we look forward to, to spending time with God and his word? <clears throat> Let me contrast that with a, 
a survey that was just done a short time ago in the, it's cited in David Guthrie's book, Read the Bible for Life, where American church members, 16% of church members read their Bible daily. <coughs> Excuse me. 32% of church members read their Bible once a week. These are American church members. 37% of the church members surveyed said reading the Bible has made any significant difference in the way they live their lives. The point of Psalm 1 is that when we spend time with God and his word, it changes our lives. It transforms us. It's a, it's a living book. It is not like any other book in the world in the sense that it is the living word of God. And God's intent after we come to faith is not that we just sit waiting for the bus to heaven, but his, his whole focus at that point shifts to transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he uses the word of God to do that, the Holy Spirit and the word of God to do that. Paul said the same thing in his letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he said, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Are you being equipped through your time in God's word? Are you being equipped for every good work? Are you the instrument that God can use? Am I the instrument that God can use? Well, what positive changes can we see um, from spending time in God's word? What can we expect in our lives to see? Well, first of all, it says in verse 3, we'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. The image here is, is uh, vitality and strength and beauty, all made possible by what? I'm sorry? Say it again? Nourishment. Nourishment. Yeah, the constant source of water, that constant living stream of water that that tree has available to it. And, th- and this tree would be unusual in the, in the context that uh, these folks would have read this passage because uh, trees in Palestine were not green throughout the year. Many of them withered up in times of drought and heat. And, and so this tree would be extremely unusual in the sense that that it was, it was green and lush and fruit-bearing throughout the year. Jesus made it clear that, that he's that source of life, that we can only flourish in him. He says in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. He also says that his words are actually spirit and life. He, he says in John 6, 63, it is, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now John 1, it said uh, Jesus was the word. The, the word became flesh among, among us. And here he says my words to you are spirit and life. They will change your life. They will give you life. So the word of God is our source of spiritual nourishment. My question is, are you getting enough to eat? Uh, You and I, especially around the holidays, we're concerned about getting too much to eat. I know I don't look like I missed any meals around the holidays probably, and, and many of you either. But where are you spiritually? You can be 
Physically, you can be well-fed. Spiritually, you can be starving to death. If you're depending on uh, just Sunday morning in church, which is wonderful, we're delighted you're here. And the, the teaching is a big part of your life with God. But you also need time in the Word on your own. And... Um, to let God teach you one-on-one individually through his word. And that's what he said he'd do. We need to fish for ourselves if we're going to be well-fed and, uh, and well-trained in, a, in our life with God. He also said that, uh, the psalmist said that we'd, we'd yield fruit in its season and, and that our leaf would not wither. What does that mean anyway? Well, we'll increasingly evidence, as we spend time in God's word, we're going to increasingly evidence the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Our lives will change. Our personalities will change. I have a friend uh, who goes to this church who talks about his experience with his father. His father was, uh, before he was a believer, he he said was uh, a difficult person to deal with, was antagonistic, uh, treated his wife badly, uh, had no regard for the things of God. His his language reflected the, the world, not the things of God. He said at, at one point in his life, his dad began reading the scripture. He'd come home and he'd see his dad sitting in his chair reading the Bible. He said it changed his life. He became a different person. He said his dad, his dad was never the same. He went on the, went on the mission field, uh, brought his kids to Christ, treated his wife differently. It, the point is that the fruit of the Spirit comes out in, in response to the Holy Spirit's use of the word in our lives. And as we engage with the word of God uh, will be that the, Gary Post will be stripped away, and Jesus Christ, that God is trying to reveal in me, will come out. And the same thing for you. That's what God's trying to do in our life through the Word of God. But not just in our life. There's fruit to be born in the lives of other people as well. And the tree is a is a picture of the Word's capability to bring out fruit uh, through us in the lives of the people around us. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the sower in Mark 4. It describes, he describes those who hear the word and the various responses that they make to the word of God as different kinds of soil. And he, and he says this, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So God wants to use the word of God in our lives to to bear fruit in other people's lives, 60, uh, 80, 100 fold. Um, And he's going to use the word of God to, to bear that fruit in our lives. Now, notice here that there are three things that have the capability to to choke out that, that word of God in our lives or to displace it. You know, Satan doesn't have to destroy us. All he has to do is distract us, right? And, and the three things that distract us are the worries of this life that preoccupy us, the desires for, the desire for wealth, and, and the desires for other things. And, and certainly, uh, all three of those things are dangers in, in our culture. And we tend to be preoccupied with those things and, and they displace the, the word of God in our lives. And they displace our life with God if we're not careful. My question to you is, what, if anything, is preventing uh, you from time in the word of God? 
uh, that will allow God to use you to bear fruit in the lives of people around you? Is there something that is displacing the, the role of the Word of God in your life to, to do that? Thirdly, our, our leaf will not wither. If, and that refers to the Word's capability to give us uh, the ability to endure hardship. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 92, If your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. You see, the, the word of God gives us the ability to endure hardship and to persevere under trial. If you're spending time in God's word, you'll, you'll learn to trust him more, but you'll learn to lean on promises like the one in, in uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in, in Christ Jesus. So we'll learn to depend on God more. We'll have endurance to, to make it through those difficult times in life if we're engaged in the word of God. You don't want to wait till you're drowning to learn to swim. And, and we don't want to wait until we're in trouble before we engage with the word of God because that's where our strength is going to come from. We'll also prosper in whatever we do. Verse 3 says, we'll prosper in whatever we do if we engage with the Word of God, if we're meditating on the Word of God. The meaning of the Hebrew prosper there means that um, we'll be good at whatever we turn our hand to. We'll be successful at what we do. And um, everybody wants to know, well, does that mean I'll be rich? Well, does, does that mean if I read the Bible, I'll be rich? Is that the promise? Well, not exactly, but God does, does say he gives us the capacity to produce wealth. He says in Deuteronomy 8.18, he says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So you and I have what we have out of the hand of God, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, we have what we have by the, hand of, by the hand of God because we're experiencing his favor. So we'll prosper. Also, the Holy Spirit will use God's word to give you unusual insight into, into human situations, including human relationships. And that's another reason that we'll prosper. Psalm 1, uh, 119.99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. It, you'll find that, that if you engage with the word of God and, and you're spending time regularly in the word of God, you will have wisdom and understanding in situations that you will encounter in your workday, in your relationships with other people. Uh, you'll be able to see through things that, and have insights that, that God will provide you with that uh, even in the moment sometimes uh, that others will not have access to. Um, more importantly, uh, the person who delights in and meditates on God's word experiences his favor. Uh, Psalm 84:11 says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Get that. The Lord bestows favor and honor. It comes from God. And, and that means that we're not only favored and honored by God, but he causes other people to favor and, and honor us. Can you think of a time, for example, in uh, Joseph's life? We studied the, the history of the life of Joseph. Who favored Joseph after he was sold into slavery? I'm sorry, Potiphar for one, yep. Yeah. Who else? Yeah, Pharaoh did, sure. 
And the jailer did at one point too, right? So, so God, caused, uh, God caused those people to, to favor Joseph. And he experienced success and uh, achievement because of what God did in the hearts of those other people for him. And, and some other people, uh, more modern day examples. Uh, here's, an, here's another example that we all know, Tim Tebow. He's a, he's a uh, quarterback for the Broncos, right? Tim Tebow is a guy who has lived his life publicly for God. He's gone out there on Front Street and said, uh, I'm, I'm living for God. And I'm, I'm trying to live my life in a way and play football in a way that honors God. God has given him favor and honor, probably all out of proportion. Not that he's not a good quarterback, probably all out of proportion to his, his ability. Now, does that mean that Tim Tebow is never going to get sacked? No. He's going to get sacked sometimes. And, uh, and he's going to lose some games. But God is giving him favor and honor, including material success. Uh, in response to the way that, that he has acknowledged God and the way he lives. Uh, another person closer to us here is uh, Kirk Cousins. I don't know if you saw in, in the paper recently that uh, yesterday morning, I think I read that uh, Kirk Cousins re- received a, a national award uh, from, uh, it's the Lowe's Senior Class Award that recognizes outstanding uh, performance on and off the, the field. And, and it's, it's an honor that's been bestowed on Kirk Cousins um, over and above any of the others that he competed with. There are some fine young men that he's competed with, but in, in all of NCAA Division I football, Kirk Cousins was honored in that way. He's honored God. He's acknowledged God, and he's living his life in a, in a way that honors God, and, and God has bestowed favor and, and honor on him in, in return. And finally, we prosper because if we're in his word, God answers our prayers if we ask. Um, if we're in God's word, what is going to happen is that our heart becomes aligned with God's heart. Our heart's desires becomes aligned with God's heart's desires. And so that when we pray, uh, we're praying in sync with what God desires for us and the people around us. And so he'll, he'll grant our prayers. We prosper because we get more of our prayers answered if, if we're in the word of God. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and and it will be done for you, John 15, 7. Okay, how can we get God's word into our life? Well, if, you've, uh, if you looked at your bulletin this morning, if you picked up a bulletin, it, it looks like a, a copy of the Lansing State Journal on a light day, doesn't it? <laughs> With all the papers that are in there. I, I thought the, the first day of the year was a great day to give you some resources to dive into the word of God and to engage with the word of God. So I put a plan in there that on one side is a plan to read through the New Testament in a year. Another, the other side is to read through the whole Bible in a year if you're feeling ambitious this, this morning. But I, I'd encourage you to engage with the Word of God in a quiet time every day. And a quiet time is just a brief time of solitude. Uh, each morning, usually it's morning, doesn't have to be. Usually it's morning, but a brief time of solitude in the morning when, when we, we get quiet and we ask, God to reveal himself to us through his word. Ask him to speak to us through his word and through prayer. And we also uh, put on his heart what is on our heart. Uh, We engage with him in prayer and we communicate with him. I find that it it keeps me aligned, folks, with with God's heart from day to day. It keeps me in touch with with God and it sets me up for the day. It it, uh, makes me attentive to the Holy Spirit's work in my life from moment to moment. 
And, and the way that I do it, there's a, there's a graphic we can put up. It's a, just a page out of my journal. This is an $8, and, and many of you may have a better way to go about this, but this is the way I have a quiet time. I have an $8 journal from Office Max here, and, and usually I'll, I'll go through a chapter of the Scripture in the morning, and, and then uh, if I ask him to, God, God will usually, there, there's a verse or two that will stand out that I, I'll get the sense that he's trying to speak to me. And so I'll, I'll uh, record that verse there, and then a couple reflections about it, and then usually there's an asterisk on, underneath where I'll, I'll put a, a prayer there, a prayer of application. Lord, impress this on my life today or change my character in this way. Thank you for this insight. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for this expression of love for me. But that's about it. I get about three of those on a page and then I can refer back to them and I can see uh, over time what God's taught me. Uh, so that's one way to do it. It's, it's certainly not the only way to do it. But solitude is important when you're having a quiet time. This isn't something you can wedge in between CNN and high fiber cereal, you know. This is not the, this is not the time for multitasking. Uh, it, you need uh, 15, 20 minutes of solitude. And then we can meditate on God's word. It says in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. You're starting to see a pattern here. Meditating on God's word equals success plus prosperity. Meditation involves prayerful pondering over a small portion of scripture, a word, uh, uh, a phrase, uh, looking beneath the surface so that God can show you what he has there for you. And I've included a little kind of a primer uh, in your uh, material there for meditation as well. And then finally, uh, memorizing scripture. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorizing scripture, it does a couple things for us, folks. It, it, uh, it makes the scripture readily available for the Holy Spirit to use in our hearts from moment to moment to, to bring it to mind at key times and to use it to, to knock off the rough edges and to continue to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And it, it also helps us in meditation because if you're memorizing something, you're turning it over in your mind and you're focusing on it in a way that you get to meditate on it and God has an opportunity to reveal truth to you because of it. The other thing that it allows you to do, and I've, I've, put, uh, I've put 10 verses on a card in there. You can cut them up and wrap a rubber band around them and, and um, review them while you're driving down the road. Only when you're stopped, of course. But... Uh, those, are, those are 10 great ones to start with if, if you want to start memorizing God's word. Uh, the other thing that it will do for you, you will find that, that when you put God's word in your heart, God will give you opportunities to engage with other people. Someone will come to you and their heart is broken and you'll have an opportunity to share with them Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where you'll say, they'll say, I just can't get any peace. And, and you'll be able to come to them and, and say, uh, well, here's my source of peace. This is, this is where I go. You can leave that with God and he promises to trade you a peace that surpasses all human comprehension. Would that be helpful to you? And, and you'll be the, the person that can minister to them in that way. So God will use you uh, like that. Also, for you with, here's a, one more little tip. For you with smartphones, as they say, there's an app for that. And uh, there is a, uh, the navigators put out a, it's called a topical memory system. 
you put in topical memory system or verse minder and, and you can actually get that on your, on your smartphone. Finally, um, we have a, a program beginning, a, a class beginning on January 22. It's, uh, it's called Read the Bible for Life. And it is designed, it's by a, a guy named David Guthrie. And it's designed uh, to help people uh, engage with the Scripture in a way that they haven't before. If you're uh, new to the Scripture or not, um, what, what he tries to help us do, and it's an, this is a nine-week uh, DVD-based workbook kind of a class downstairs, what he tries to help us do is to understand the Scripture in its context, in its historical context. In other words, uh, to understand what we're reading while we're reading it, and then also in the larger context of the story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible. Rich Bruce is going to teach that for us beginning on January 22nd. So if uh, God is leading you to, be, to engage the Word in that way, I'd encourage you to do that. I think that will be life-changing for you. So let me leave you with a question. Are you living for time or, or for eternity? As I think through my day, I try to think about what portion of my day am I investing for eternity? What portion of my day am I doing something that's going to matter beyond my life? What portion of my day is an investment in my eternal 401k, that treasure that's laid up for me in, in heaven? Well, getting into God's word is part of that. It, it, it uh, will matter for eternity in your life and the lives of those around you. So I, I'd encourage you the first of the year to, to uh, engage with God's word and, uh, and, and let him have his way with you in that regard. Let's pray together, shall we? I'm going to pray with you from uh, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 for the Ephesian Christians. Father, I, you're, you're the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And I, I pray that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and, and of revelation in the knowledge of you. I, I pray that uh, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us as your saints. And, and what is the surpassing greatness of your power uh, toward those of us who believe. Thank you for the great gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for a new year in which to live and to serve and to know you more, Lord. We pray that you'd put in each of our hearts a burning desire to know you and to follow you and to serve you and, and, and honor you in every area of our life. And we ask these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.